Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lagaya Means Happiness. Um, I also want to welcome any new listeners. I've only recorded one episode, so you don't have a lot to catch up on, which is great, right? <laughs> um, I also wanted to start off by clarifying the name of my podcast. Uh, Lagaya literally means happiness in Filipino, in Tagalog. And my mom is from the Philippines, and my dad is Irish and German, so I'm half Filipino, half white, very proud of my Filipino heritage. And my mom named me Lagaya, um, I guess in hopes that I would always be happy, which no one's always happy, but I usually am happy. But when anxiety comes, and especially during the period when I had the postpartum anxiety, my joy is just taken away. My light goes off. It's, it's a terrible feeling. So I named this podcast The Guy Needs Happiness because the last few years of going through my postpartum anxiety struggle, I've just been struggling to get my happiness back, to get my light back. And I think I'm almost there, just about there, and I'm truly grateful. So just wanted to let you guys know about the name of my podcast and why I named it that. This episode, I'm going to focus on the second time that anxiety and panic really hit me in my life and really affected my life. I was in college. I was in community college and I was happy. I had been working and I made new friends and I was running cross country and track again this time for my community college, but you know what? Those athletes at the community college are no joke because they're trying to get into the four-year universities on athletic scholarships. So you still need to mean business when you're trying to be good at the community college level. And you are competing against the four-year universities at some of your meets. Um, So I ran track and cross country for Saddleback College, which is in Mission Viejo, which is a town in Orange County, very close to San Clemente, where I had moved home. And that's where I met my first boyfriend. And this episode deals with the anxiety that comes from a core fear of mine that I have of being alone or being left alone. And when I was a little girl, I think I mentioned in my last episode that, you know, I was afraid of losing my parents and I was afraid of, you know, them leaving me and me being alone. And that fear, you know, is still very much alive in me today. It's a core fear. It's something that I can't get rid of very easily. It's something that I work on in therapy, but it never really goes away, you know? And so any relationship in my life, be it a friendship or a relationship with a male partner is incredibly important to me. And losing a friendship or losing a relationship with a male partner has always been very difficult for me. And it really triggered the anxiety. So anyway, I met my boyfriend there and we were together, I'd say probably about a year, very serious relationship um, before it came time to transfer to our four-year universities. And I really wanted to go to UCLA and I applied to probably four UCs, couple Cal States and... So I really wanted to get into 
UCLA and get into their communications program, but I didn't get in. I got into UC Santa Barbara, UCI, and UC Berkeley. And I remember my dad saying, if you get into UC Berkeley, you're going to UC Berkeley. (laughs) Um, Because it's such a good school. So at first, I was really upset, you know, about not getting into UCLA. I was devastated. But one of the good things was that my boyfriend at the time wanted to go to Berkeley and he was going to go to Berkeley. So if I went to Berkeley, I wasn't going to be starting off all by myself. So that was different right away. And I flew up there one day and I just canvassed the entire area to get an apartment. And I found a great little studio apartment. Well, it wasn't that little. That was what was so great about it. It had these bay windows and it was on a street called Durant Avenue in Berkeley. And I rented it out that day and I came home and told my parents I found my place to live. I love the feel of the city. Um, I love the look of the school. I love the look of the campus. And I just think that this is going to be better this time. So they drove me up to Berkeley and dropped me off and helped me unpack and kind of get my apartment together. And it was just a different feeling from the start. You know, everything was different. And when they waved goodbye to me this time, you know, my boyfriend was standing next to me. So they knew, you know, and my mom knew that I wasn't going to be all by myself. This time going to Berkeley, I was two years older. I was 21 years old. So I was three years older going with my boyfriend. So she knew him very well at that point and liked him. And I wasn't going to be alone. They left me there and I was happy. And I have to tell you that my experience at UC Berkeley was completely the opposite of my experience at USC. I felt very comfortable there. I loved the city of Berkeley. I think it's changed a lot. I've, I've gone back recently and it's all built up and crowded and you can't even walk anywhere. It's a beautiful campus, really. And I loved walking down Telegraph Avenue and you could basically get high just walking up and down that street because it's just pot everywhere. But it was unique to Berkeley and it was different for a girl that comes from South Orange County. And it was a great experience. And I remember thinking to myself, like I would check myself and I would say, do you feel anxious? Do you feel, do you feel okay? Can you do this? Are you really okay, Lagaya? And I finally stopped doing that because I really, really was okay. And school wasn't that hard for me. My dad had said, (laughs) you're going to Berkeley, just pass, get C's. I'll be proud of you, which he'd never said to me before. Since I was well adjusted and I was, you know, doing pretty well. I was doing pretty well there. School came easily to me. Um, I also made a new friend. Like I had a best friend up there named Jessica. We had classes together. We rushed for sorority together. She went to the sorority. I didn't. And I had, you know, my boyfriend. So between the two of them and school, I was pretty content. You know, I'm not, I've never been the type of person that needs a ton of people around me to make me happy. So as long as I have a few key relationships intact and around me, I'm happy. And I had that. So I was doing well. But one thing that I couldn't really ignore is the fact that at some point I was going to graduate. Um, it was still my plan to move to LA and go to USC for graduate school because I still wanted to get my master's in communications from their communication school, Annenberg. I kind of knew that my boyfriend at the time wasn't on the same track. He had kind of switched majors a few times, wasn't quite sure what he wanted to do. And we would fight and we would, you know, make up and, you know, the whole thing with a young relationship. I mean, we were classic. I 
knew that at the end of the path, at some point there would have to be a breakup because I knew I didn't want to marry him. I knew that from the very first day that we got together, but I wanted to have a relationship. And I think, you know, ladies, you can relate to this, you know, when you're 18, 19 years old and you've never had a relationship and this like great guy comes along and just like, you know, loves you and takes care of you. Like you're going to be with him. You're going to give it a chance. Then you, you get dependent on them in a way. And you know, we all know this story. So I loved my boyfriend very much, but he wasn't going to be my forever. And I knew that. And if I was more mature and if I had more balls, I would have broken up with him sooner, but I didn't. And I didn't have that maturity. And I had a core fear of being alone, right? So that was anxiety provoking, thinking about breaking up with this guy that had become a figment in my life. We were together for almost three years by the time we did break up. I couldn't really imagine not having him. And I didn't want to not have him. I didn't want to be in the world without a crutch. And, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, he had become sort of a crutch for me and my heart and he was taking care of me and he was taking care of my heart. And he was a great guy. Like, I can't say that enough. And as we went into our senior year, he told me that he wanted to go to officer's candidate school and become a Marine. Now he came from a military family. So I knew that like military was in his in his blood. I I knew that like, it was a possibility that one day maybe he would want to do this. But when he told me about it, it was months in advance of him actually going to Virginia where they have officers candidate school. And what happens is these young men go there, they train very hard and they are guaranteed a spot in the military as an officer when they graduate from college. And so that was what he wanted to do after he had switched majors a few times and just didn't really know, you know, didn't seem to know what he wanted to do. Suddenly he had this direction and he had this passion and he wanted to do this. A good girlfriend would have been supportive of this. A courageous good girlfriend would have said, well, you know what? I think we're on separate paths and you go your way and I'll go mine and I wish you the best, you know? But I didn't do that. We just kept fighting and fighting. And I kept telling him that I didn't like the military and I looked down on it and it was absolutely not true. I respect the military a lot. I just couldn't see. It was like I I just saw red when it came to this OCS and like leaving and going away because I just felt like he was abandoning me. And that was the core fear that that was going on inside of me that was causing a lot of anxiety and the way I dealt with the anxiety at that time was I would just fight with him and we would fight and break up and fight and break up. And it was exhausting. And when summer came and he went to officer's candidate school, sure enough, cause that's what he wanted to do. I couldn't stop him and I shouldn't have been trying to. I went home to St. Clemente and I worked my job at Nordstrom and we would write letters back and forth. Cause that was the only way he could communicate with me. It's like so archaic, but that was the only way we could communicate. He would tell me how much he was thinking about me and how much he wanted to work this out. And I would tell him that, you know, I missed him and I was thinking about him too, but there's no way, no, how am I going to be a military wife? And, and to my credit, I knew that in my gut that I was never going to be a military wife. And so I was telling him, but I didn't have the balls to do what I needed to do, which was break up with him. 
So summer went by, and at the end of the summer, we went back to Berkeley. And one thing that had happened over the summer that I didn't want to tell him about that was, you know, related to my anxiety because I did not want to be alone. And I could not fathom breaking up with him. So the one and only time in my life that I have ever cheated on anyone was on my first boyfriend um, over that summer when he was in OCS. And I'm not proud at all that I did this, but I was so immature at that time and so young and just confused as to what to do. And I wasn't courageous enough. I wasn't brave enough to do what I needed to do. So I met a guy out one night and we ended up having a relationship, um, while my boyfriend was away and I did cheat on my boyfriend with him. And when fall came around, it was eating away at me. I was having anxiety about knowing that I needed to break up with him, knowing that I had cheated on him and I wasn't telling him the truth, just feeling like I was carrying around this secret and I knew he deserved better. I knew I needed to tell him the truth and I needed to separate myself from him and let him go his way and I go my way. But I just couldn't bring myself to do it. So what happened? I had anxiety. I had terrible anxiety. The worst I had had since, you know, a few years prior. And I didn't know what to do. And I went to a doctor in San Francisco. I don't even remember what he told me to do. I think he tried to prescribe me Valium. And uh, at that time, I was sort of like my parents. I was really against medication. So I wouldn't take it. So then I found a therapist nearby Berkeley that I could go see. And she would pretty much tell me that I needed to end my relationship and that, you know, this anxiety was going to eat away at me unless I did something about it. And still no medication. And I just, I mean, I was dying again. I, I had classes to go to. I had finals that were coming up. I had graduation looming. I was getting out a semester early because I had finished my requirements and I was taking the GRE to get into grad school. I mean, everything was happening. And at the same time, I had the worst anxiety I had had in years. And I, if I had just broken up with him, if I had just not cheated on him, if I didn't have all this guilt that I had to carry around with me in addition to the fact that I knew he wasn't my forever choice. I mean, it was just, it was awful. And it was awful for him. And I mean, finally, there was a breaking point in, you know, probably like a month before graduation where I told him, I just broke down and told him the truth. And I thought if I tell him the truth, anxiety will go away. If we break up, anxiety will go away. Well, guess what? My core fear of being alone was realized when I told him the truth and we broke up. And my anxiety definitely did not go away. My anxiety continued. 
And even though we broke up and we went our separate ways and it was like a pretty clean break. We, you know, when I told him what happened, I mean, it's not like he was going to accept that kind of behavior. And so we had been fighting and getting back together for months. But this time, you know, I said, I cheated on you. That was it. We were done. After he was out of my life and we were living, you know, we were both at Berkeley, but we were no longer together. I was a mess. I was extremely anxious. I was having panic attacks. I had like gone to Telegraph where I told you you could walk up and down the street and get high. And I'd gone into one of the stores and gotten like, like natural oil or something that was supposed to help me feel better. And of course that didn't work. And I was just dying, trying to stay afloat with like classes and needing to graduate. And I was so deathly afraid that I was going to like call my ex-boyfriend and I couldn't do that. I had like all this pride that like, you know, was misplaced, I think, but I was very anxious that I was going to pick up the phone and call him. It was like this ongoing intrusive thought that kept coming into my mind. Like, what if you call him? What if you call him? What if you call him? What if you call? It was crazy. And, you know, nothing could calm me down. And my mom had to fly up to Berkeley during my finals and like cook me meals. She of course took me to church and had the priest bless me. And, you know, she stayed with me for three days to make sure I went to my finals and I took my finals and then she flew home. And then my dad and her came up to get me. And I went home for a few weeks to San Clemente. And this was like my graduation. This was like December of 2006. I was, I graduated and it should be a happy time, but instead I was completely overcome with anxiety and guilt and shame and remorse and all these awful feelings. And I was at home and I was still determined because I told you I was very, I'm very high functioning anxiety. Even when I have anxiety, very high functioning, it's crazy. I was still determined to go to LA, go to USC, which I had been accepted to for grad school, get my master's and live happily ever after. So my best friend and I drove up to LA I got myself a penthouse apartment and my mom co-signed because she, she didn't tell my dad, but she was just afraid that if I didn't stay in this nice penthouse apartment in West LA, that I would stay somewhere near USC. And she was terrified of that area. And I found roommates on Craigslist and we furnished it together. And for the first six months of living in Los Angeles, I lived with constant anxiety. I was never hungry. I looked amazing. Um, my friend Jessica from college had to come visit me and pull the shades open and walk me up and down Santa Monica Boulevard, which was not pleasant because we were just trying to explore my new area, but she was just trying to get me out of the house and I was just lost. I didn't know what to do. I was alone. My darkest fear had been realized and I had been left alone. I did all of this to myself and to our relationship. I felt abandoned. I felt alone. I didn't know what to do. Anxiety is a funny thing because it protects you and it perceives the threat. And what it's doing is it's protecting you from that threat. And so the whole time that I was at Berkeley having anxiety about breaking up with him, the threat that my anxiety was trying to protect me against was being in a relationship that wasn't right for me. And my anxiety knew better than me. It knew that I needed to be out of this relationship, but I wouldn't do it. 
So the anxiety just kept on and kept on and kept on. And then once I broke up with him, my core fear of being alone was realized, which contributed to more anxiety. So a couple months into being in LA, and I mean, I was high functioning. I might've been dying inside, but I found roommates, got furniture, got my apartment. Like I said, I got a job working for um, assisting the CFO of a production company called Morgan Creek Productions in West LA. And I ran the LA marathon with one of my good friends, Marta. I just was trying to keep busy, you know, just trying to keep myself busy, keeping myself oriented in the direction that I wanted to go, not thinking about my past, not thinking about my ex. And it was working, but I had crippling anxiety still and panic attacks and something needed to give, you know, I couldn't keep, you know, I was going to grad school at this point as well. And I was meeting new people and I was trying to have a new life, but I still had the anxiety because deep down I felt technically alone, you know, because I was like living this whole new life in Los Angeles by myself. And I didn't have a core support system in Los Angeles. It was kind of all on me. And so I went to the USC, um, they had a clinic on, on campus for, for their students. And I said, I need a therapist like now. And they referred me to, they had a consultation with a very nice woman. And she referred me to someone who I will call Saul, who became my therapist for the next 15 years, played a huge role in my life. And this is where I tell people finding a good therapist is so incredibly important if you are going through anxiety or depression or any of these other mental health issues. You have to have somebody that's going to invest the time to get to know you and you them. And you develop a dynamic and you develop a relationship, a professional relationship together in which they treat you. And you feel supported no matter what else is going on in your life and who comes in and out of your life. Your therapist should always be there in my opinion. So you want to find somebody that is going to be there for you through everything. And they're going to invest in you just like you're investing in them financially and emotionally. They're going to invest their time and their, not their emotions, but you know, their knowledge and in you. So I found this therapist and he saw me twice a week for about six months. And he said, please try medication for the love of God, woman. He didn't say it that way, but he told me each time he was very, he was, he was unique. He was a PhD and an MD and he was a psychoanalyst. There's a lot of MFTs out there. There's a lot of LSWs, licensed social workers out there, but there's not a lot of psychoanalysts out there. That's a very unique field. They focus on looking at you, I believe from, and, and, and this is just from what I think I know. Um, they look at you from your childhood and they look at what affected you from childhood and what is making its way into your life now, what's causing your issues now. I trusted him. For six months, we talked about maybe me getting on some medication. And at this point, my mom and dad were still, my mom was staunchly against it. My dad was somewhat open to it, but very like after the whole Paxil episode, and I should probably clarify, Paxil is an SSRI that is used to, so it's a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, and it's used to rebalance the serotonin levels in your brain. And there's a lot of different SSRIs that you can take. 
and Paxil's one of them. I don't think it's as popular as the others, but I got it, like I told you guys, in a sample pack from the doctor's office, and I just started taking it without heeding any warning about what this could be doing to my brain. And then I had that horrific panic attack that started all my panic attacks. And I stopped taking the Paxil at that point. And from that point on, I was on no medication. So all these years until now, I'd been on no medication. He finally convinced me. He said, look, you've been coming to me for six months. You are miserable. You are functioning. It is amazing, but you are miserable. And I think you need to be on medication. And can we just try this? So nowadays, like you, you see all these ads on TV, like here, just log into this app and you'll have a therapist and we can deliver medication to your front door tomorrow. That's great. That's really streamlined and efficient, but it doesn't give you the therapeutic relationship that I believe is essential to successful treatment, like real treatment. And I totally understand that not everybody has the means or the insurance to have, you know, the best therapists. And so in those cases, you know, do what you need to do. Always do what you need to do to get help. But if you are able to go to a few different therapists and decide, you know, which one is best for you and choose one and develop a relationship with them, hopefully you see them in person. I mean, now we live in this remote world where everything is done over Zoom or remotely. But really, I think the therapeutic relationship is something that is so, so important that if you can see them in person, maybe even just once in a while, I think that that's preferable. And so with Saul, I was seeing him in person twice a week and he was seeing that I wasn't getting better. Like I was doing a lot of things and I was achieving a lot of things, but I was doing it with anxiety that I, he felt I didn't need to have. Finally, he convinced me to start taking another SSRI called Lexapro. And he put me on that. And I think I went on it in June of 2007. And then I went to go visit my friend Jessica from Berkeley in San Diego, where she was living for, for her grad school. And we were on the beach. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't think I've had anxiety lately. And that's how medication can work is it can be very subtle. At least that's my experience. You know, you have your benzodiazepines, which are the ones that are like Valium or Xanax or Clonopin or Ativan. And you take those in sort of an emergency situation. Like Saul would have me prescribed Clonopin to take if I was having a panic attack and I really needed something. But I'm the type of person who tries really hard not to take anything unless I absolutely have to. And that's why getting me on medication was such a struggle. The SSRIs like Paxil and like Lexapro, which I ended up on, are more, you know, long-term. They're your longer acting medications. They work differently, but in my case, Lexapro saved my life at that time. Truly, I was suffering so much and I didn't realize how much I was suffering until I wasn't suffering anymore. I remember like laying on that beach when I was visiting Jessica and I remember thinking to myself, I'm better. It was like the sun came out, the birds were chirping. It was one of those moments in my life. And I realized that being on medication was one of the best decisions I could have made for myself. And I was finally able to sort of 
put my relationship behind me, forgive myself for the things I had done and focus on my life in LA and really make the best of it. That was the second time that anxiety and panic really made an appearance in my life. And it was horrible. It didn't really end. I would say like in all, I think it was probably about a year and change that I suffered. It didn't end until I went on medication. It was something that, you know, I needed to do. I guess my takeaways from this episode is that number one, you're not going to be able to run away from the moments in your life that need to happen. Sometimes there are anxiety provoking decisions that you need to make that are going to make your anxiety worse, but are going to be better for your life in the long run. And the longer you put off making those good decisions, the worse your anxiety is going to be. So it's kind of better to rip the bandaid, make the decision, suffer the anxiety and learn coping skills to get through the anxiety or take the medication or get the therapy to get through it, but make the right decision. Number two, find the right therapist. You know, I think I said it in my last episode, but Saul saved my life. I mean, he was such a wonderful therapist and he also had his MD. So he was able to prescribe, which is unique. I felt like the first time I took that pill, I felt like I was going to just pass out and die. And I took it, nothing happened. And it took a while. I think it took like, that's one of the annoying things about anxiety medications SSRIs is that they take four to six weeks to work. I mean, sometimes you can feel some benefit sooner, but for the full effect, once you're on the therapeutic dosage, which is the dosage that your doctor is going to keep you on for the long term, which you have to work your way up to, it takes four to six weeks on that dosage before you start to feel better, which is why I started taking it in June and I didn't notice the big difference until September. But don't let that deter you. If you need medication, you need medication. And there's a lot of different options out there. And that's why it's very important to have the right physician or therapist looking after you to make this crucial decision of what medication to take. Lastly, I would just say for postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, um, those perinatal illnesses, if you have struggled with your mental health in the past, you are more prone to it. So I'm giving you my story of my past struggle because it made me more predisposed to getting postpartum and I got it indeed. So I will be getting into that soon, but I will wrap up for today. Thank you to the people that have started following my Instagram account and have rated and reviewed my podcast so far. Please do um, take the time to rate and review it if you can be so kind and you can follow me on lagaya underscore means underscore happiness on instagram and also i have a facebook page called lagaya means happiness so you can go ahead and subscribe to that or like that and i'll be posting updates in both places so that's it for now and i will see you guys next time or speak to you next time rather 